Hi, welcome back to Not Another Film Podcast. Everyone, it, this is a special episode because it's our last one before break. Um, we didn't do one last week because we were busy, but I really don't think any six, any one of your 16 people cared particularly. But um, yeah, this is, our, this is our holiday special, I guess. And we're talking about a movie that's not a Christmas movie. But before we do that, Henry has some news to share in the film world. Oh, yeah. Okay. So um, Tom Cruise, um, who's filming the new Mission Impossible movie, he caught some people on the crew going on, uh, like breaking COVID rules. I don't know exactly what they were doing, but there's this recording of him just like absolutely going off and like screaming at them. He's screaming? Oh, wait, no, I really want to play it. I'm so sad. Sorry, you guys are you guys at home are just gonna have to look this up. Well, there's a lot of screaming and a lot of swearing. Um, I don't take Tom Cruise seriously. What? Why not? If he yelled at me, I would cry. I isn't he a Scientologist? Well, yeah. I mean, doesn't that make you more scared of him? No. <laughs> Tom, Tom Cruise was the inspiration for Patrick or what's his name, for the guy on American Psycho. An interview they did really? on Letterman was the inspiration for for Christian Bale's performance as in, or in, in American Psycho. Wait, I had no idea that was based off him. Why? Because it's like that, like, insane. Just, like, the look of just, like, he's super charismatic, but you can just tell that there's, like, no joy Yeah, behind his eyes. Yeah, he's yeah, I, he's terrifying. I don't know. I like I don't take Scientologists seriously, just because this is. And I, if you're listening and you have gotten pulled into a cult or the Church of Scientology, yeah, to all this our is not to offend you. Fans. However, I think that I'm built different, and I just wouldn't get sucked into any of this, um, unless I really wanted to. Like the only cult I would actually join is the Midsummer Cult, just because. But like. I just don't think I'd get pulled into Scientology. I just think it's kind of stupid. <laughs> I pretty much do whatever anyone tells me to do. So That's very I, true. I'm like a prime example of people that would absolutely be sucked in. Wait, I think it's, are... I don't like saying no to people, but I, I don't know. I just genuinely think that I'm built different and would get Is pulled the into Church Scientology in California? There's a bunch all over. Like, there's one in New York. I've been to that one. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, yeah. Um, maybe I'm a Scientologist. Um, no, I think... Is there one, like, in every major city? I don't know. Field trip. There could be. But I do think, like... <laughs> I do think that Tom Cruise being just a psychopath leads to some of, like, the best performances... yeah I'm not saying Scientology is good but he is just phenomenal like in like Magnolia and like Eyes Wide Shut (laughs) Tropic Mm -hmm. Thunder have you seen him in Tropic Thunder I have not he like I think that the character's name is Les Grossman and he like I don't even, I haven't even Oh, seen, yeah, I've heard of Les Grossman I haven't even seen the full movie but I know he has like giant like fake hands and like He's like bald and he just like yells at people. But yeah, like on, I mean, on a more serious note, like 
just that like sort of um nothing on the outside like everything just that sort of look is like he uses that best in I think eyes wide shut mm -hmm. just that performance that he gives in that is just like amazing just the, mm -hmm. the the reserved nature of you can just tell like him just pretending everything is fine which okay yeah for our viewers who don't know eyes wide shut that is like it's a story about a guy who like gets in too deep with a cult. Yeah. Which is <laughs> kind of what Tom Cruise is living right now. It's very Tom Cruise. Well, yeah, exactly. But, it's oh a my phenomenal gosh, oh my film. Gosh, I, I didn't even plan this, but Eyes Wide Shut is a phenomenal Christmas movie. Is it actually? It is. It's a Christmas movie? Yes, it is. It takes place during Christmas. I guess so, but like, okay. The cinematography. Uh, prisoners, too. prisoners, starring Jake Gyllenhaal and Paul Dano, are also are, are set during Thanksgiving. But there's no way in hell I'm gonna call Prisoners a Thanksgiving movie. Like, I think Thanksgiving was kidnap your children. Every movie that's set in during Christmas time is a Christmas movie. That's what I would agree with. Just like because Andrews, it, I think Fanny and Alexander, like, there's so like many amazing it. movies that. Also, I feel like also just like they're gonna have like Christmas, like pretty Christmas stuff in it, no matter what. If it's because like you can't help yourself, right? Yeah, but I think like whatever the setting is for a film, like, like I'm thinking, um, top of my head, like a summer movie for me would either be like Ferris Bueller because that's like set like spring summertime, or um moonrise kingdom because that's like over the summer that's a very like moonrise kingdom for me is a very summer movie yeah like a summer and movie. exactly and i think it's just because like whatever the setting is you're going to associate it with so like die hard is a christmas movie yeah you're going to draw during christmas which they right do, and then they do do that in eyes wide shut like if you look up eyes wide shut cinematography there's like so many beautiful like lights that like look like christmas lights mm -hmm. here claire look look this up with me and our audience. <laughs> this, is, this is an interaction. This is another episode of NAF where you have to you have to do homework to do it. Um, yeah, it's just it's like what? I really hope also, that my audio is not picking up my loud typing. It is. But oh, anyway, no. yeah, this is oh, why is he so sexy in this film? Claire. <laughs> I didn't sorry <laughs> we were all thinking it you didn't have to say it <laughs> i have a right but like look at that like the bar scene like the use of the lights and like the bokeh it's just beautiful yeah. oh and the oh, like the dance scene that yeah, is that like groundbreaking so you've got to watch that movie it's yeah, like and i'm saying that not to you claire but to our loyal listeners that is a henry recommendation i mean it's kubrick isn't it yeah it's his last film and um, <laughs> you know what's funny is they actually filmed this in London instead of New York. It's based in New York and they filmed this in London because Kubrick is scared of flying. So they just <laughs> built sets instead of filming this on location. That's so sad and sweet and annoying at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I mean, how much money is it to get an American cast and crew to go to London versus building the set of London in America. Like what's the cost difference? It's no, it's the set of New York in London. Oh, it's vice versa. 
Yeah, it's set in the the the, the story is in New York, but Kubrick, a British. That's man. what I'm. That's what I meant, guys. I know movies. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it is a Christmas movie. I mean, I don't know. I like creepy movies that are set during a holiday because then, like, from besides Halloween, Halloween doesn't count because Halloween's always creepy. But like, if you watch like a Valentine's Day movie that's like a horror film, that's just like it's gonna make the holiday unsettling for you slightly and I think it's fun I think it's, yeah, it's, fun a, that it's way. a good subversion are there movies like that that exist that's a horror valentine's day movie oh my god can I be the first no I bet there's like a Blumhouse Bloomhouse production that's valentine's day themed let me look it up valentine it's probably called like cupid's arrow and something like that that's my guess valentine's day horror films oh my god this article 10 essential horror films for valentine's day okay Valentine's Day, otherwise known as a day of heteronormative displays of affection mass-produced by a corporate giant, is upon us. If you side with the anti-Valentine camp, skew the Hallmark holiday sentiment by watching these horror films featuring bad romances, bloody sexcapades, and twisted love stories. Here we go. My Bloody Valentine. Necromantic 2. <laughs> audition. Video drama. Oh, Audition? I think I've heard of that one. Let's see what Audition is. Is it like it's a Takashi Mikamoto? Yeah, that one, that one. Okay. Yeah, I know that one. Oh my gosh. Auto or up with dead people? Um, yeah, it's a funky one. Well, fun. Spring. Um, yeah, these are all. Wow. Okay, guys, <laughs> guess what we're doing on Valentine's Day? <laughs> making a movie. Yeah. Oh my god, I would love to make like a. Um, like I really like old mythology stuff, like Greek mythology, and like if you took like cupid and made him like creepy and like murderous that would be fun that'd be fun like yeah hey claire hey henry do you know what time it is it's mank o'clock it's mank o'clock guys it's the hour of mank the manking hour yes the manking <laughs> hour the manking hour henry and i both watched mank and before we watched mank we watched citizen kane so that we could say we've seen the movie that Mank is based off of, and also so that we're good film kids. Yeah, um, honestly, we watched if, this at different times. Didn't, yeah, didn't honestly, we? if Mank didn't come out, I probably never would have watched Citizen Kane. I didn't want want to watch Citizen Kane because I thought it was a boring ass, like, pr- like pretentious film movie, right? And then I watched it, and it was kind of a boring ass pretentious film movie, but I still really liked it. Um, I did have like four out of body experiences and almost fell asleep like nine times during it. What? Um, but when, however, wait, 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 wait. Bef- when did you watch the movie? Um, on a Tuesday. <laughs> I hadn't gotten much sleep the night before, and it was a very—it's a very cozy movie. And like Orson Welles knows that parts of it are boring and will make you want to fall asleep. Like, like he knows that it, it will make you like it will lull you to sleep. So that's why he put that jump scare of that crow screaming because he wanted to wake the audience up. And I just think that's great because he knew what he was getting into. Um, that being said, I thought Citizen Kane was pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it's extremely impossible to judge a film like equally uh, or like when a film has as high of a reputation yeah. as Citizen Kane does. Like you really can't go in like and say your opinion isn't biased like I feel like I mean also this was kind of my experience with like Parasite 
I watched it like a year after it came out and you know everybody's saying it's amazing and of course it is amazing but it's sort of like yeah I already knew it's amazing and like yeah you, that's you, true you're robbed of like the honest experience of like forming your own opinions that's really accurate I didn't really think about that going into Citizen Kane but I also did because like I expected to not like Citizen Kane be- even though I knew it was a great movie like I just expected to not like it mm-hmm. um and I expected to not like Mank going into Mank and uh, yes we'll get yeah. into Mank well anyway so, like Citizen Kane is like it's for the those movie. who don't know Citizen Kane is like the movie I'm sure it's the, everyone it's the movie <laughs> It's like the movie, like it's pretty much known as the best film of all time. Um, yeah. I mean, like, I don't think it's at the first of like AFI's list. I think it's like Vertigo, but Citizen Kane is definitely up there. Mm-hmm. Um, just like everybody says it's the best movie ever. And My issue with watching Citizen Kane is that because I've seen so many films that like Citizen Kane, like, it's such an it's an old movie and that idea of like greed and the development and like the just the story process in general is used like frequently nowadays so I'm watching Citizen Kane and I'm like you know what I just think this is another copy of There Will Be Blood and I'm just thinking about it I go wait a damn <laughs> like Citizen Kane was first like Citizen Kane a lot of these films that did something like a plot similar to Citizen Kane are doing it because of Citizen Kane like it's such an influence yeah. and it's really hard for me to be like I've seen this a thousand times before I've seen the whole like ooh, the main character's corrupt thing like a thousand times oh but- I have a weird connection so we were talking about there will be blood um the guy who like wrote the story for there will be blood he was he had like a small part in Mank. oh really who was he um <laughs> no sorry I, I I said that poorly but um uh, like oh, the, like the, did he do something in production? Material is called like oil, and yeah. Oh my gosh, this is, yeah, by Upton Sinclair, who is um a person in Mank who's like a politician. Well, yeah, he's Upton Sinclair. Upton Sinclair, yes. Yeah, you know that. You know him, right? No. <laughs> oh, <laughs> um. To be quite honest, I probably couldn't even explain who he was. I just know that he's a really politician but he's like really famous like everyone hates mm-hmm. Sinclair right yeah he's got that famous person name yeah Just like sounds- I know the name and I know it's not not a good name why who knows <laughs> yeah anyway um so what Claire why do you think people like say Citizen Kane is the best of all time um because I think one it was revolutionary for the time period and I mean I don't watch much movies from the 1940s we've been over this and I think that Citizen Kane kind of just started a whole nother like it, it just I don't know if it, I wouldn't say it started a genre of films but I just think it was revolution revolutionary in style and in writing and like I think the dialogue was amazing um I just think that it started off this like like this kind of Oh my god, I'm trying to explain this in the best way possible. It started off just a new like era of films and writing, I think, especially in writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just in sort of the way that it like starts off in like the final it starts off at well, I mean, the story is talking about the story follows the life of this huge like um newspaper 
company owner or just like this uh this this insane life of charles foster kane Mm -hmm. and we start off at his death and he's like extremely rich and um all alone in his like huge empty castle and he dies and like his final words are rosebud and then we i appreciate you giving a plot summary to the audience because i was just gonna make them assume that they knew citizen kane (laughs) yeah i don't know i mean let's let's go over it anyway and (laughs) so this was like this was definitely something that people didn't normally do like the well also i mean the way that we learned about his story is like in and out of like different um perspectives because really the we as the audience are in the perspective of a reporter who mm-hmm. find out that that Kane's final words were rosebud and they're trying to figure out what rosebud means right they're trying to figure out why he said it and through the story we he interviews multiple people throughout his lives that sort of each have a new detail to add about his life mm-hmm. and so we end up learning about like Kane's life as he was like sold from his parents and um as he like worked his way up in the empire as he like cheated on his first wife and then yeah. married his second wife and um got rich um, and it's just sort of like all spiraling um off of well I mean the sled which the people don't find out um what rosebud means oh, rosebud I was just gonna is, say don't spoil the end of Citizen Kane but it came out like 80 years ago so it doesn't matter yeah sorry guys anyway rosebud was the name on the sled the right. sled that he was playing on like the day that he was sold and so it's sort of like he it's he lost his his childhood he lost every, like his innocence yeah and start he was born like he was raised to be corrupt yeah and also sort of like he all he wanted was the love from other people like the love that he lost when his parents sold him yeah and um and I think they said like um oh my gosh what did they say they said like um we may find out what rosebud means but it'll never explain it'll never explain why like mm-hmm. the film really why it's so cool is it's like it's trying to capture the essence of a person like yeah. the true essence of someone all in one word and even though rosebud is technically the answer like it doesn't actually really explain anything and mm-hmm. I just think, like, it's such a really cool, like, way to end a story, just, like, with sort of a non-answer. Yeah, and that's why I think it's interesting, because Robus Bud is up for interpretation. Mm-hmm. Like, before, before I watched Susan Kane, my sister listened to our last episode of the podcast, where we talked about, like, film kid origin story, like, what movie kind of made you want to start doing film? And I think that's kind of what we talked about. I genuinely don't remember. And she was like, why didn't you call it your Rosebud? And I was like, ah, ha, ha pretending I knew what that meant and I like had heard the word (laughs) rosebud before like I heard it I was like this is this is important why who knows and I knew the sled was important when I first watched like the five the first like 20 minutes of the movie when they whipped out that sled I was like I this is in the deep recess in my memory I think this is important and I think it's like it's clearly gonna come back later 
And so then like finding out that it was Rosebud, I was like, oh yeah, I remember hearing about this. Like people have talked about this before. And I think, well, yeah, what I like so much about it is that it's one up for interpretation-ish. Like you still have to stay in the area of reason of the movie, but um, you can kind of decide what Rosebud means. It just depends on how you interpreted Kane's character as a whole. Um, like I saw it more as he lost his childhood, he's doomed from the start, and you saw it as more of a like all he wanted was to be loved by other people type thing. Yeah, and which I, I think mean, is sick, and I think they're both right, which I love. Yeah, like Kane isn't well. When you're writing for film, um, characters don't have to be likable, but oh, absolutely, the audience should understand what how they are. They don't the have to agree to have with a connection. them. They just, yeah. They have to understand why they do what they do. And mm-hmm. especially like if what they want is rooted in like a primal need, like let's say just love. And um, I think in that sense, just the character of Kane is just such a sad story. Like all he wanted, like he really is like at the heart of him. He really is just a sad child. Yeah, and that's the thing. He was always a child. And I think that was important too because he didn't get to complete his full childhood. And when something like that happens, you're gonna, like your maturity, it's different. You're gonna, he was extremely childish throughout the entire thing. Like even when he was like a powerful adult, he still had that child mindset. And I think that was really important as well. Yes, he just like doesn't get it, you know. He's just so rooted in his ways, just so deep. Like it's, there's no way to finally like, there's no way to undo the trauma. And, and it's like, also, it's his fault, but it's not his fault. I mean, yeah. Right. In the sense that he didn't choose to be that way, I guess. He didn't choose to be raised that way. Like, when, I don't remember what his name was. The guy that took him in, that it, like, his parents basically sold him. I don't know. He didn't choose to be raised that way. He also, his parents fought a lot in clearly not the best home situation as well. So, from the very beginning, it's always been bad for him. and mm-hmm. like. Like, he was a shitty person. We can acknowledge that, that he was a bad person. But there's parts of it that are, like, extremely, like, not his fault in the way that he was, like, raised in, like, personality and trauma-wise. Um, I strongly think that we need to start talking about Mank because we call it the mank episode, but it's just Citizen Kane. I mean, yes, Citizen Kane <laughs> does go into Mank just because... Well, I would... Yeah, because it's about the writing. Yeah, Mank is... Well, is about... Mankiewicz the guy yep. who wrote Citizen Kane and oh wait can, uh, my favorite scene in Citizen Kane I just love it yeah, so much I can put this in before okay so um his second wife who is an opera singer who want or she's a, a wannabe opera singer I and love I love her too and she's just so sweet and Citizen uh, and Kane just he wants her to be successful and he wants her to be happy and to love him. And he, he's like, Oh, do you want me to build you? And like, if nobody accepts you as a singer, I'll just as in their opera house, I'll just be able, I'll just build you your own opera house. Mm-hmm. And so, well, she's not very good. And so she ends up getting herself a whole opera house and tons of people to help like train her and it's all this this whole show about her in like this huge opera house and that Kane all did all for her and the big performance we as the audience know it's going to go horribly 
and um, you see Kane in the audience, just like staring at everyone, like looking around and um, just as the performance goes on, like they're all like, they're like looking at the girl in scorn and like they're falling asleep and you can just see in the woman's eyes, like just how deeply embarrassed she is and just like, she's singing and singing, but you can just see in her eyes like that. She's just so unhappy and just that Kane, like, he just doesn't get it. You know, I just thought it was yeah. just, it was so like funny and sad and just so like, it, oh it was God. for me, it's and, creepy thinking back on it because it's the way that one, I think, um, she, she doesn't want to do it anymore. You can see like every time it happens, she doesn't want to do it anymore because it's humiliating. She doesn't want to yeah. do it. And it's the way that he's trying to intimidate everyone into pretending to like her um, when she knows they don't like him. It's torture for her. And the way that he he does everything out of love for her and he doesn't like it, he doesn't realize because he basically turns her into one of the statues that he loves to buy. You know, he like buys all those statues. When he has her in that like castle and she's sitting in front of the fireplace like doing a puzzle because all she gets to do in that house is puzzles and she's not allowed to do anything else except for host. But she's like extremely depressed and doesn't want to host people and like have people over like all she does is sit there and do puzzles and she's like a statue like she's just another piece of art and he's so devoted to her like he's devoted to the art and she hates it and it's torture for her like it's like it felt like she was almost like a like a like enslaved person like she was just there and she couldn't leave and she couldn't get out of it until she finally decides to leave him and it hurts him so badly that he can't stand the sight of anything involving her and destroys the entire bedroom and I just I just that was my favorite part in the movie it's really sad but it's the only part that like like I really woke up at that point I was like oh shit this is crazy you know um that part was definitely really cool for me Mm -hmm. yeah I love I loved that movie I thought it was I knew you would yeah I liked it a lot it's not my favorite movie of all time because it's not something that like I would be like okay I'm in the mood to watch Jason Kane today um and the fact that I only watched it for Mank is a little disappointing but I did also watch it because I felt like it is something that like every person going into film should see because it's like revolutionary um however my tastes are different than Citizen Kane like than than anything like that but I still thought it was amazing and I yeah everyone should appreciate it. it right yeah, and I mean, even if you don't like the plot or anything, I think you can appreciate the art. Yeah, the cinematography like was also, yeah, this was also Orson Welles' directorial, directorial debut. Yeah. This was his first movie. And ever, it, ever. Yeah, ever, yeah. And he was just supposed to be an actor, but he got in that contract of making like four movies and being director and having complete and utter creative control over them, which is insane to me because he ended, like Orson Welles ended up like Citizen Kane and went power hungry and insane. Like he was a crazy old man. My dad showed me this video after we watched Citizen Kane of Orson Welles. He's supposed to do like a commercial for like raisins or something <laughs> and flipping his over the writing of the commercial that he didn't write. And he's sitting there like, I'm not gonna say the lines because I think this is stupid. And it is insane to me. Like this man kind of Citizen Kane himself. He went power hungry and got greedy and was an inevitably in the end. Oopsies. Yeah. So okay. speaking of men speaking that of, were involved, speaking of let's, movies, let's talk, let's about, talk about a movie. <laughs> Mank, so, directed by David Fincher. Yeah, so Mank basically tells the story of how the screenwriter for this got his inspiration for Mank. 
it's the it's the Seinfeld for Citizen Kane. And as well as that, it's not only the inspiration, but the process and like the time crunch because he only has a certain amount of time to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also he's just like, he's also an alcoholic. And so yeah. that, and it's, it's also told in a non-linear story, like- Just like Citizen Kane. Just like Citizen Kane. And you can definitely see that this person, this is directed by Mr. David Fincher. Uh, one of Mr. Sirak's favorites. One of your favorites, right? I guess. He's he's amazing. I, I do love him. I don't know if he's one of my favorites, but I do love him. Very yeah. Dearly. Anyway, this screenplay was written by Mr. Fincher's late father. And I didn't know that. You can definitely see that this story was made along with this. It's something very close to fincher's heart you can definitely see just in the way that the dialogue moves and just the way it's just a passion project it's like yeah you could say it's a passion project and it's a passion project in the sense that like it also just kind of doesn't really make any sense like the movie itself doesn't really stand up without citizen kane i guess like i personally felt that it was that the movie was enjoyable just because it it, it was a good add-on to citizen kane I don't think just as the movie by itself was very strong. I don't think, and I say this in the nicest way possible, I don't think it had any reason to be made. Something that like, this is completely different, but when you write an argumentative essay, your whole part of your argument has to be like, so what? Like, why is this important? Mm-hmm. And I think, and we talk about in film all the time, when you write movies, why is it important? And I think in this case, it was only important to David Fincher. Like, I love Citizen Kane, and maybe I'm just not as dedicated to Citizen Kane. I clearly am not as dedicated to Citizen Kane as thousands of other people are. However, this movie didn't need to be made, but it was. And I think part of me is like, really? And the other part of me is like, go, David. Do what you, do what you want, man. Like, have fun, yeah. you funky little dude. I also think it's funny that Orson Welles hates homages. And this film is one giant homage. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, cinematically, in the way that it's written, as like not even just like, hey, this is about the making of Citizen Kane, but like, what I think is great is that Fincher really did try to make it seem like an Orson Welles movie in 2020. Like, it really did. Like, the way that it's written, cinematography reminded me a lot of Citizen Kane. Um, the even the minor details of like and every yeah. little bit. It was such an homage to Orson Welles, and, and yeah, score. I guess I. Yeah, oh, the score was so good. I was gonna yeah, the score was by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross, who are who've worked with Fincher many times. They worked on the Social Network, which is my favorite Fincher film, my, one of my favorite films of the decade. And Claire, I can see you. I can see. I can see your reaction to this. I've never seen the Social Network. I can't say shit. That is correct. You cannot say I stuff. Can't say shit. We will do Social Network for another episode, but that is a film that I highly, highly, highly recommend. I I so this was my this is unfortunately because I'm still a very new film kid, and I feel like I don't mention that on the show often. Like I'm not just a bad film kid; I'm new to it. I didn't get into the like whole this. These are all the movies you have to watch until like this year or last year. So I'm still I'm still learning, children. I, this is my first venture film ever and I didn't want it to be whatsoever because I really wanted I knew that he would do it in an Orson Welles style 
And I really want to see Fincher on his own. And what I would have loved to, if I had the time, I would have watched a bunch of Fincher films first and then watched Mank and would have been like, oh, this is so cool how it's a mix of not only Fincher style and Wells' style, but like everything else as well. I just think that it would have been more likable yeah. for me. And like, if I understood what Fincher is like as a director and a writer, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, and for our audience, um, a good Fincher film to start with. Zodiac or Seven. Zodiac is creepy. Seven is disgusting. And The Social Network is amazing. And Fight Club I mean, is- Fight Club is Fight Club. All the movies, sorry, I don't want to like just describe them like that. They all are masterpieces. And you will love every single one of them. I would personally say Social Network is the best, but really that's just my opinion. Anyway, let's talk about the Mank movie more. Yeah, um, um, I'm going to pull up my notes low-key because I actually like was writing while I was watching, which I never want to take notes on a movie. Again. Yeah, well, anyway, something that I loved was when, I forget who said this, I think it was Mank that said like, you can't capture a person's life in two hours, only the impression of it which I think is amazing just in the sense, in the way that it relates to Citizen Kane, just that is sort of the message of the story. Just like you can't capture a person's life. Um, and I don't know, that is just kind of it like that. We just, uh, what happens to our existence after we die? Um, like we can only live in the memories of others and, um, I just think that's sad. Just like yeah. how but I think once we're gone, it's just like how we be remembered. Not to get philosophical on the podcast, but I think it's also kind of inspiring because it's like when you're gone, yeah, that's, I mean, if you believe in like a heaven or a hell or anything similar to that or an afterlife of some, some sort, then this may not apply. But if you don't, and when you think when you die, you die and you only live on the memories of other people, then isn't that kind of if you, if you're not like a pessimist, then it's kind of inspirational because it's like you only live once type thing. Like you're you're you got to make the, the the most of it. There's like a Doctor Who quote where, yeah, I'm gonna bring up Doctor Who on the podcast um, where I think Amy Pond says something about how we're all just stories, so you better make it a good one. Like I think that's kind of cool, and I think Mink kind of throws that idea in there, um, and it's kind it's it was more subtle for me. But I think I think it's an interesting it's yeah. an interesting point. Do you want to know my philosophy? Or it's not my philosophy, but it's the philosophy I thought was funny. So this will be quick, don't worry. But um, I was watching a movie, and it was called it's called Funny Games by Michael Haneke, mm-hmm. and yeah. they basically said the philosophy that like movies exist, like m- movies are in an alternate dimension, and they. They are as real as the lives that we are in. And I don't want to get into funny games. Funny games is a masterpiece. We'll talk about it later. Don't worry. But yeah, Claire, you can cut this out. (laughs) No, I won't cut it out. I'll keep it in. It's sweet. Um, I think I like that idea a lot. I haven't seen funny games. I know the mental weight of funny games. But um, back to more Mank. Yeah, um, I want to talk a little bit more about the style, which I know I keep talking about it, but it's just like the only part that I liked. I didn't really care for the plot much. Um, Wait, I, I'm not going to say, fa- I don't have a favorite part. Uh, actually, okay, I do have a favorite part. It's very dark. 
and I'm gonna give a big old trigger warning for anyone listening. I really liked the suicide scene a whole lot and it's really fucked up. However, I really like the way that Fincher writes in the sense of you don't have to explain the entire entirety of what's happening through dialogue. Part of like I like it when when it's not completely out there like you kind of have to put yourself in the situation to understand the context. Like when he comes in and he's going to kill himself, he doesn't um it's not like, what are you doing? I'm going to kill myself. It's more he walks in and is like, stop, like, don't do that. And the way that, like, Mank reacts in such, like, a calm and, like, nonchalant way, I just thought was great. And then the way it's done when he does kill himself, because he thinks that he he got the gun and the bolts away from him, and he goes to the wife, and she grabs it, and then she just, like, says he took a whole box with it, and then immediately cuts to the gunshot and the flash in the window. I thought, I just, if I didn't know that, I already knew that that character kills himself because I know the history. But if I didn't know, that would have just like sent me on an astronomical journey. And I thought it was a really just, it's such a simple scene. And I just thought it was really cool. I just really appreciated it. It was like one aspect of something that I was like, okay, this is Fincher. This isn't just like Fincher doing wells. This is Fincher. Yeah, I definitely agree. And that is like a very important rule in screenwriting that you shouldn't give the audience everything. You right. should let them do at least some of the work in order to keep them engaged let them connect the dots don't do it for them yeah and that also leads into my favorite part of the movie which was the story of the organ grinders monkey oh that well that's which a is the story part. that uh, <laughs> charles dance's character tells which also like what the story of uh mank the movie is just basically how he got the inspiration for citizen kane and the character Citizen Kane is based off of his boss, which is Hearst, played by Charles mm-hmm. Dance. I'll, I'll just call him Charles Dance for now. Yeah, anyway, no. um, he is a huge film executive, I believe. Oh my gosh, if he isn't, that'd be so sad. Um, but anyway, he's just like a big money guy. And um, it just, I, I believe like he was so angry at him that this film was just sort of like, tearing him in like trying to understand him and like tearing him to pieces I guess which I thought was cool but anyway um uh, uh, the story of the organ grinders monkey is mentioned twice in the film and I don't want to get into it because it'll be really long but it's basically the story about of this monkey who like gets all these fancy suits and he dances around and because he has the suits he thinks he's the greatest person in the world Mm -hmm. and as we learn at the end he's just a monkey He's yeah. not, he's literally just a monkey. And Charles Dance is telling him that story to basically say like, know your place. Right. And I just thought that was so cool and so funny. And like, he doesn't say the final line of the story. Charles Dance does. He does not in the film. We're left to figure out what the final line is. And yeah, yeah so anyway, we were not given everything. And congrats right. to you for making me smile. Is it- told I mean the way the story was told and just Charles Dance's performance was so good like I love that there it's that's definitely probably I think that's the scene that everyone's going to talk about with Mank I don't think that Mank is this is very mean I don't think Mank is award-winning like award-worthy no I I would not I would not be happy look I mean say what you will about the Oscars but let's say in this magical world the Oscars are actually like for movies that are good I don't think that Mank 
right yeah properly representative i don't think that mank is award deserving however it's still a good movie um yeah I something think, i did oh go ahead oh, yeah anyway i just think all the discourse for mank is kind of done like it's just a movie that's going to be kind of forgotten or like swept up yeah i don't know if they're like i haven't seen much of like people being like this is the worst film or this is the best film i just think everyone's like eh. yeah so i went into Nap it thinking it was says, gonna be so great. does Nap recommend this film I'm going to say, eh, there's better movies to watch, but if you love cinema and you love Amanda Seyfried, I would watch this. And also if you want to learn about Citizen Kane and, the, and like the political like environment uh, and like the political atmosphere of this film, like from a historical lens, it's really cool. And also the music is cool. And so watch it for that. But I don't know. If you don't know Citizen Kane, you're going to be confused. And I don't know. It's just sort of like, a, eh. it's one of the movies. I think the only redeeming quality of it was the essence of the homage to Orson Welles and Citizen Kane in general. So yeah, you can watch it without having seen Citizen Kane and still understand. But you're not going to be able to like enjoy it as much because I think the only enjoyable part is the style of it. Yeah. Henry says, watch The Social Network instead. Um, yeah, I have no recommendation for you. <laughs> Well, um, give the audience a recommendation. I mean, look, yesterday I started with this completely different. Yesterday I started watching this Paul Dana movie called, um, oh my God, what is it called? Love and Mercy. And it's about um, the lead singer of the Beach Boys. And it is sick as hell. And I'm only 20 minutes into it because I have other work to do. But it's really good. Um, another movie based on a real person. And it's pretty freaking sick. So I highly recommend that. Uh, thank you all so much for listening. Uh, this is probably the most film kid episode we've ever done. Yeah, and I don't know if it'll get more film kid than this, but let's go, Henry and Claire. Yeah, um, we, can we can make it. Thank even you so much. Worse. Yeah, we can get we can get much worse. But if you stuck with us this far, thank you so much. We appreciate you so 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 much. So, um, Merry Mankmas and Happy New Mank. Bye, everyone. <laughs>